0: Welcome to International Marxist Radio, the official podcast of the International Marxist Tendency, Marxist.com. Join us every single week for Marxist news, theory, and analysis. Hello and welcome back to International Marxist Radio's two-part discussion with Ben Morkin, a leading member of the International Marxist Tendency in South Africa about the class struggle in Sub-Saharan Africa. Last week we dealt with the current situation in a number of key countries, South Africa, Nigeria, Kenya, through to the Cape, Central Africa, and also we touched on the situation in the Great Lakes region. Uh, You can listen to that discussion if you haven't already. But in this part of our bumper episode, we're going to be taking a bit of a wider view of the context for the current state of affairs in Africa, which obviously means dealing with imperialism, with colonialism, but also the current main geopolitical tendencies that are brought to bear on the African continent and on the African class struggle. So, Ben, um, I'll start where I started last week with your own country, South Africa. It's been around about 30 years since the fall of the apartheid regime. Um, What has become of politics in South Africa since that time? Has it been the case that with the fall of apartheid, oppression and imperialism and racism and colonialism were all banished to the dark and distant past and South Africa forged a brave new democratic path forward. Um, is that the situation?
1: Well, um, when you we, when we talk about the apartheid regime, um, this was a regime that uh, existed from 1948 until uh Early 90s, 1994, when uh, we had the first uh, non-racial democratic elections. Now, of of course, many people know that the character of this regime is a racist, uh, oppressive regime, and many people know that there was a struggle against uh, this regime, which was eventually brought down. But what I have noticed, especially when talk to uh, people in the West, there's a lot of uh, myths about how this really uh, ended, how the how the situation really unfolded. I mean, some say that the regime was brought down by sanctions and boycotts and these kind of things. Others talk about the others have the the great man theory, right? According to which uh, Nelson Mandela finally sat down with the last apartheid president uh, F. W. de Klerk. And uh, worked out some sort of solution uh, which allegedly saved the country from eternal ruin and so on. And none none of this is is, is the correct situation. I mean, these are just uh, fairy tales. Nothing else. I mean, uh, the truth is that the regime was brought down by by the mass mobilization of the South African uh, people, led by the South African working class, um, and. But because the, uh, all of this ended in a negotiated settlement, um, at the so-called negotia, uh, the negotiations between the regime and the leadership, um, capitalism was saved, um, while the masses um, won broad democratic rights, uh, you know, the right to protest, the right to strike, the right to vote, all of these uh, rights that were denied uh, to them by the regime. Um, and this the outcome was only this outcome that that has been reached was only possible through the mass demonstrations the mass uh uh ro- rolling um revolutionary movements of the 90s uh 90s and the 1980s and so on which uh which forced the the the, the ruling class and imperialism to uh to 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 reforms um and just these negotiations which actually saved the capitalist system. with mm. these, uh, when Mandela and the ANC, the leaders of the liberation movement, when they sat down with the regime, they worked out a program that would keep the uh, the existing relations, the economic relations intact, while uh, giving broad democratic rights to the to the black majority. Um, but this negotiated settlement contains all the contradictions which, which are at the root of the crisis of uh, South African capitalism, which we can see today. Um, you know, for, for the masses, of course, democracy is not an end in itself. It is um, Democratic rights for the masses is a, is a means to, to improve their lives. And, but South African capitalism has plunged in deeper and deeper into crisis for the last 30 years. And as a result, we've seen the continuation of the class struggle, huge upshirts in the class struggles over the last 30 years.
0: Mm.
1: And the negotiations, the negotiated settlement is also at the root cause of the crisis of the ruling party, and which is really a crisis of the ruling class as a whole. The, 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 ANC, the crisis of the ANC is a crisis of the South African ruling class. Uh, and, the, and, the, and the reason for that is. Precisely because they have been governing on a capitalist basis, that means that they have to take responsibility for the crisis, uh, and the result is that all its authority, uh, political and moral authority of its leaders, have been eroded, and and, and currently we are, we are now sitting with the second and third and fourth layer of the leadership since nineteen ninety four. Um, yeah, you know, and they do not have the same authority as uh, the Mandelas or the Tumbo's or the susudos and so on. And they and 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 as a result of that, they do not have the authority to hold back the class struggle, hold back the masses from moving in uh, in in um, to wage uh, a fierce struggle against against the ruling classes. whole. so that that is the the broad picture of uh, of the of the class struggle between. Uh, uh, intensifying for the last uh, 30 years
0: you wrote a really good article um in november of 2021 to mark the death of de Klerk and you talked about the way that his legacy was whitewashed and the bourgeois wrote these epic screeds about how he was this incredible democrat who had the courage to sit down with mandela and to put an end to apartheid but this was a guy who not only was party to this rotten negotiated settlement you described which saved south african capitalism but he up until as far as i'm aware the day he died said that apartheid was necessary because of the in his words complexity of South African diversity. So this was a guy who was, I presume, a figure within the apartheid regime who could see the writing on the wall. He saw the rising class struggle, as you say, the revolutionary methods that were being employed by South Africans to resist apartheid, and he knew it was a case of either there'd be some sort of negotiated escape for capitalism or the system as a whole would be brought down. So it's a little wonder that he's valorized by the bourgeois in South Africa and internationally for rescuing their system. And I also think it's interesting, this point you make, about how there are myths surrounding the fall of apartheid. Because I think you get this a lot when it comes to the question of, say, Israel-Palestine and the role of of sanctions and the role of, um, you know, the embargoes around trade and 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 the cultural um, boycott around south africa and the extent to which that was uh, a factor in the fall of apartheid In, in some respects i think it would be rather comforting to the bourgeois to give the idea that it was just you know friendly democratic um non-violent pressure from the international community quote unquote to put an end to apartheid but that's not true is it it was as a result of revolutionary class struggle methods that this regime was brought down and i think that's a lesson from history worth bearing in mind for all oppressed peoples and for the struggle against imperialism um oppression um all throughout the world
1: yeah very much so um just on the, on the, uh, the clerk issue, um, I mean, the clerk is now is known as a reformer, right? Also, so he, he came from the, um, or he was part of the, the, the reformers wing of the, of the regime, but he actually came from the hardline faction. Um, he was, uh, you said that, um, uh, that quote about, um, apartheid, uh, was necessary because of the complexity of South Africa's diversity that he was actually. That was a, uh, originally that was a quote from uh, Hendrik Verwoerd, which was the which is known in history as the architect of the party. Um and he was a great admirer of of Verwoerd, and right up, up until the nineteen seventies, uh, the mid nineteen eighties, he was very much on the the far right of the of the government, but um, um, but in the mid nineteen eighties, the class struggle reached fever pitch, and this 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 is this was when. Uh, the organizations such as uh, the Congress of South African Trade Unions were formed, which was a, which was the a ter- very ter- turning point in the, in the class struggle. Um, the masses of the people, the working class, organized on, a, on in the tens of millions, um, and moved through these organizations uh, led by the unions in a revolutionary situation. And it is at that time that U.S. imperialism came to the conclusion that um, apartheid or the hard apartheid lo- uh, laws and so cannot cannot uh, last forever, because uh, the system is under threat. The very foundations of capitalism is under threat through these mass mobilizations. Um, and, this, and this intensified class struggle reached a fever pitch in which it split the regime into two, two camps, you know the, the reformers and the hardliners. and the, the hardliners were led by the, current, the, the, the the president at that time, um, PW. Bota. And um, he was he was adamant that you cannot uh, give in to to the pressure because where will it all end? And uh, he was supposed to he came under enormous pressure from U.S. imperialism to to start the the reforms, to have negotiations with the leadership of the liberation movements, and to channel all of this uh, into safe into into safe avenues. And he uh, couldn't bring himself to it. There's this famous uh, speech in which he was supposed to, uh, to announce reforms and, and, um, uh, of the system. And he stood in front of the audience um, and then he put his uh, prepared statement away um, and said, he's not. he was not going to do it. Um, that was the so-called Rubicon speech. He could, uh, could not cross the Rubicon. He couldn't bring himself to the fact that someday uh, someone with a black skin would be the president of the country. Just mm. that, it was so much, too, it was too much for him to bear. And it's at that stage that US imperialism, um, seeing the threat of, that the system is under, um, turned against the right wing, the, the hardline faction, and that is when the, the sanctions came in. It's also, uh, at that time, uh, South Africa was waging a war in Angola, um, mm. and uh, uh, it was the, the 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 liberation movements and the Angola armed forces were receiving aid from from the Soviet Union, also from from Cuba. At that stage, military aid, um, and the US was supposed to um to supply the South African military with uh, with uh, intelligence and also with the hardware, um, and uh at that stage um when when the conflict reached uh, a town called quito carnavale um u.s imperialism um to bring pressure on the clerk at home to, to bring to, to, to try to, f- to force him to have to, to go through with the reforms they famously betrayed him didn't send uh what they what they what they were supposed to uh but they what they had promised and and it was at that stage but all the sanctions came in it is ba- it was basically a measure to save the system from Total over, and mm-hmm. then uh, a few months later, the clerk, uh, uh, sorry, um, uh, Porter was overthrown, and replaced by the clerk, um, and 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 um, and uh, and the and at that at that stage where the negotiations started and the reform measures started, uh, to to uh, to try to save the system. So you know, U.S. imperialism did not go through the sanctions process because of the um. Suddenly, they they feel uh, uh you know uh, that apartheid was wrong because for decades before that there were staunch staunch supporters of the regime for since since the nineteen forties nineteen forties they have been staunch backers uh of of the apartheid regime. It was only when the system was uh was threatened the, by the mass mobilization that they uh, ch- uh, changed their tune.
0: Can I ask? Quickly, because I'm sure that many of our listeners will be interested to hear what is a Marxist perspective, a Marxist balance sheet on Nelson Mandela.
1: Well, um, it depends on which Mandela you talk about, <laughs> because um, it's at different times uh, you re- represented different, um, you represented different outcomes. Mandela in his youth is not the same Mandela as uh, the one that was released. After. 1994 uh, the the one in his youth was, was very militant he was uh, he he was a founding member of the armed wing of the anc in um he famously said that you cannot uh, negotiate with people um, and talk about peace with people who are shooting shooting at you and you are you know you should be, be prepared to wage an all even an armed uh, uprising against uh, against your enemy this this was not the Mandela of the nineteen nineties or two thousands, which was uh, you know portrayed as this uh, saint like figure, uh, yes. passive, um which 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 uh ultimately um just through his uh, presence and just through his personality alone allegedly, saved South African uh, South African society. Now um obviously Mandela uh, was a very courageous man, especially in his youth. He was prepared to sacrifice uh, his all of his. Well, three decades um, he was incarcerated, um, uh, and 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 he was imprisoned uh, for his beliefs and for his uh, revolutionary activities. Um, and then when when he was, but we must also remember, that it was not the clerk or or. or the apartheid regime that uh, through their, ma- ma- you know, through through their sheer um, visionary leadership finally saw the light and released Mandela. Mandela was released by the mass mo- movement of the working class, especially the, the 1989 movement mm. in September, which in which the, uh, the masses of the people uh, launched a defiance campaign against the, the apartheid laws uh, in which, uh, you know, black people were not allowed to go to beaches or, or restaurants or certain parts of town. And everybody just flooded these, these areas. And uh, at that stage, the apartheid regime knew the, the game was up um, because they, they cannot enforce these laws. They cannot, um, they cannot uh, govern in the old way. And so uh, they they faced the revolutionary overthrow, imminent revolutionary overthrow. It was then that uh, the apartheid regime of of de uh, and so on, uh, and this uh, and this uh, leadership decided to release Mandela. Um, the, un- the ANC was unbanned in late uh, in the late nineteen ninety eight. Sorry, nineteen eighty nine. Um, the Communist Party was unbanned, and Mandela was released in early uh, 1990 um, mm-hmm. when Thurg made his famous speech in, in Parliament.
0: And, and, and now the ANC, of course, has gone on to be the main custodian of South African capitalism.
1: Absolutely, absolutely. Um, but even when when Mandela came out, it was asked, um, "What was the ANC's policy uh, uh, to to uh, for, for South Africa?" and he was still um, defending the freedom charter which, which uh, in his famous clause which called for a nationalization of the mines the monopoly institutions and so on um and only a few months later um, when the when the negotiations were were really uh, up and going and he, he traveled to um uh, the world economic forum in davos he was he was uh, moving around in the circles um uh, of the the uh, the imperialist elite, the South African elites and so on, uh, which and which he, uh, de- uh abandoned this this position uh, of the ANC of of the of the Freedom Charter, and uh, moved in the opposite direction, uh, mm-hmm. in which in which uh, in which basically they they've given up on the the uh, on the, on the promises of uh, economic you know, radical. Uh, transformation of the of the economy, or revolutionary transformation, nationalization, and so on, and they move in the opposite direction. So this is this is uh, Mandela's um, legacy. It, it is it is it is uh, it has changed enormously over the decades, and it's become more pliant, uh, and that's why the ruling class have changed the tune. I mean, the Mandela of the of his youth, they were they he was uh, called a terrorist. All of the, all of the uh, the worst names you can you can uh, can can call um, uh, uh someone uh you know they, they described him, as uh, in the way they described Lennon basically, and mm-hmm. but when he uh, came out and changed his tune he, he, was, uh, he was he was seen in the opposite light he was like almost like a saint like figure you know yes. he was almost generated. almost and 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 they 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 changed, changed the tune completely because. At the end of the day, he used all of his authority, all of his this moral authority that he had, to hold back the 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 mass movement, the revolutionary mass movement from to go the, the all the way to challenge South African capitalism.
0: Yeah, a contradictory figure, and obviously has been made harmless and sanctified by the bourgeois, by imperialism, subsequently. I think that you can't really discuss apartheid, nor any of the horrors that we've touched on in this episode and also last week without talking about the impact of the African slave trade, the role of imperialism, the effect of colonialism. When Marx and Engels talk about capitalism um, entering onto the scene of history, dripping blood and dirt from every pore the ravaging of Africa and its people is one of the defining crimes of this new burgeoning economic system. Obviously, you know, it starts in the 16th century on on a major scale with the involvement of Europe, and it becomes a defining feature of the horrors of primitive capitalist accumulation. So can we quickly just touch on the, the main colonial players uh, on the African continent and the effects of the, the wounds that they've left on Africa for the class struggle today and the consciousness of people in Africa?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um, obviously, the, in West Africa, the French have left, left a devastating, uh, last, long-lasting impact on uh, on that part of the region uh, although we have we, we we should also say that french imperialism is uh, enormously weakened um, over the last uh, few decades and have been replaced um, by rising imperialist interest including uh, china which is uh, the dominant player in on the african continent uh, as a whole um, obviously the british by far, is the most imperial, the most uh, the biggest player, biggest colonial player in in the history of the world, <laughs> um, and they and also in in Africa, um, they have colonized more countries than any other uh, colonial power uh, has ever done so. Um, and we, we we talked about the legacy of in the last ep- last episode. We talked about the legacy that uh, British imperialism has left. Kenya with the ethnic divisions, um, that, that but that is that is a common feature across African continent. I mean, people who have lived together for thousands of years is basically the same people. Um, in the Great Lakes region, the Hutus and the Tutsis are, are essentially the same people. There's really nothing, not, nothing, uh, nothing substantial that um, that divides them. As except the involvement of, uh, of the imperial- colonial powers. And that, and that is uh, the result of, of uh, imperialism and colonialism. We must remember that the whole, the, all of the borders of the African continent, all, all 54 countries, was created in a conference in Berlin in 1885 of all the major imperialist powers, the major colonial powers at that time. And they just set up um, around the table and draw up the borders of africa among themselves and uh, give uh, certain section to this and the other section to that uh, to that power and uh, arbitrarily divides people divided people um, across border lines or united people who have never lived together people with different uh, languages different uh, cultures and so on and then they f- and then they used all of these um, all of these divisions uh, played amongst, played uh, one group of uh, against another along ethnic lines, along linguistic lines, all kinds of divisions. Um, divide and conquer. Uh, that's basically the the method they've used. And across the all of the African continent, the the all the the wars has been fought along ethnic lines. As it is the direct result of it. The, the Rwandan massacre is a direct result, the, the conflict between Hutus and Tutsis is a direct result of, of, of this involvement. The, um, this, from the smallest uh, European countries like Belgium, played an, an enormous negative role, in, uh, and the impact that they have had on countries like uh, Congo is, uh, is still lasting to, to this day. So um, so it is absolutely vital that any struggle against, for the liberation of the African continent must be a struggle against capitalism in the West uh, and the imperialist uh, nations of uh, North America, Europe uh, specifically.
0: And none of this is even to mention the huge outflow of wealth extracted from Africa today in the form of repayment of foreign loans. I mean, the World Bank. the IMF. These are institutions that under the guise of so-called aid, under the guise of so-called economic developments, hold huge swathes of Africa in a state of artificial backwardness. They force dozens of countries to hand over big chunks of their GDP every year just in the form of servicing foreign debts. Um, The role of economic imperialism in the last period has been devastating, and it's exacerbated many of the catastrophes that you've already touched on. But you also talked about the rising imperialist powers that are starting to challenge the dominance of the West, and you said that China now is the major imperialist player in Africa. And aside from China, um, there's been much anxiety amongst the Western imperialists about relations between particularly South Africa and Russia. South Africa and Russia in the last period have spoken positively about trade relationships. They've had joint naval exercises. So can we talk about the state of play in the imperialist struggles over Africa at the moment? How does Africa um, figure in the conflict between Western imperialism led by the US on on the one side and these... um, new kids on the block if you like in the form of china and countries like russia on the other
1: as a matter of fact um u.s vice president uh, Kam- kamala harris just wrapped up a uh, week-long trip to the african continent and this was aimed at countering uh the growing chinese and russian influence uh across africa um but there was this symbolic which is actually a very funny uh, instance where where um show the the significance really i would say of of the real situation because she landed in the at the glittering new airport with new terminals state of the art uh terminals in lusaka in zambia um all of this built by the chinese uh, and then mm-hmm. and then uh, and then obviously she um the chinese also built a uh, 60,000 seat uh, stadium in lusaka and uh, new uh, roads and bridges and then she had to drive uh, uh on these roads and under these bridges uh to uh to a destination where she uh she made you know, some ab- abstract abstract talk about uh democracy and human rights and stuff. i i i think that is uh underscore that that scenario just underscores the the real state of play in, across the african continent um Africa, no, the African continent is more and more slipping into the Chinese uh, sphere of influence. And currently uh, China is, is Africa's largest uh, two-way trading partner with more than $250 billion of trade in uh, 2021. Uh, this is four times the amount of trade between Africa and the US. And uh, and as you say, the South African Navy have just has just uh ousted naval exercises with the Chinese and Russian um navies just off the coast of South Africa uh in the Indian Ocean, and obviously predict- predictably the um uh given the, the 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 importance of South Africa to the continent, so U.S. imperialism was not very happy about this, but they were in the end they were powerless to do anything about. it um obviously we know the real nature of the of the chinese uh, regime we also know that um uh china obviously is a rising power um and is uh and is is currently uh, the main the number one enemy of uh, of the american ruling class it's understandable this anti um, anti imperialist sentiment is bubbling up from uh, you know, across the African continent, but um, as Marxists, we must be clear that uh, we that that does not mean in any way, shape, or form that we are um, somehow supporters of of the of Chinese regime, which, uh, despite calling themselves themselves uh, is being led by a communist party, is actually presiding over a over over capitalism and uh, imperialism. Um, because this 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 is this is the aim of of of, of China uh, ultimately, through its uh, expansion, uh, it is it is exporting capital. That, that's that's what that's why it is building this uh, infrastructure in the African continent. Um, and so we we are of of no you no know, have no illusions in uh, if of Chinese involvement within the African continent. Um, because all of this infrastructure uh, infrastructure development yes it's, it's not the the form is not the same as uh, as as that has been done by uh, by the us or by the french or the british uh, it's not in the it's, i mean it, it's not that um, predatory in its naked form as the the colonial past of the of the major western powers but in at the end of the day um, all of this is done to benefit Chinese uh, Chinese capitalism, Chinese uh, Chinese expansion. Um, all the all the development, the, the infrastructure, the roads, the ports. All of this is to facilitate the, the export of, of of African wealth to a much more efficient way to China, which is an enormous uh, source for raw materials um its factories need need all of these raw materials and it needs to get them at a much cheaper rate and a much more efficient rate um for it to compete with the with the western powers um so we we have absolutely no illusions uh you know in chinese uh in in the chinese role in the african african continent um and ultimately the, the 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 struggle against imperialism inevitably in, in africa's hour well, will include a, a struggle against a Chinese in, rising Chinese imperialism in, uh, in africa
0: rolling back to the crimes of Western imperialism, the NATO intervention in Libya in the early 2010 s had a major impact on the continent. Could we talk a bit about what happened as a consequence of Libya being? Basically, plunged into barbarism following NATO's involvement and in the fall of Gaddafi.
1: Well, we must remember that the the whole point about NATO's intervention in Libya was to cut across the Arab revolutions, which have which have been uh, which have uh, you know which spread all around the Arab world, uh, starting in in Tunisia um, going to to Egypt, and then. Uh, into Syria and and so on, and and Libya was part of this process. But Libya and and Syria, also to a certain extent, was the first opportunity in which the West could um, directly intervene um, in in these revolutions. Um, But we must remember also the the military involvement also had an impact, not just um, in those countries, but also in in certain parts of Africa, in specifically West Africa, uh, with the outbreak of the Libyan, Libyan civil war and the collapse of the uh, regime of Gaddafi, thousands of these uh, fighters, these jihadists, moved uh, into West Africa, into countries such as Mali, Burkina Faso, uh, Niger, um, and as also, there, uh, there's been um, an ongoing insurgency in Mali. There's also been an uh, insurgency, the Boko Haram insurgency in northeast Nigeria. So when these fighters eventually uh, were forced out of Libya, they moved into these regions which was already uh, experiencing uh, insurgencies of their own. And then to make to make matters worse, NATO then followed these jihadists uh, into into the Sahel region and into West Africa led by France, um, and this posed a massive security threat to those countries uh, through terrorist attacks, uh, bombings, kidnappings on a huge scale in countries which uh, uh, until, until then have not seen these, these things, um, uh, countries like, uh, especially countries like uh, Burkina Faso was overrun at some stage by, uh, by these groups and uh the military was in at no no in no position to resist this uh this all uh, this sudden influx of uh jihadists and and um of uh invading the country and at some stage um the this this caused a such anger in in burkina faso that the, it threatened the popular uprising again and this is uh has had a huge impact on Burkina Faso itself, uh, because the masses of the people uh, then took up arms. Um, I mean, were prepared to, to to take up arms to fight to to to, to uh, protect themselves against this intervention, and um, and that all of this com- completely destabilized the whole region. And, with it, and but there's also an, another side um, to all of this. As we said, the the instability had uh, um, revolutionary implications, um, and the result of all of this was both Mali and Burkina Faso. There was uprisings uh, of the people, um, which then forced the, the military in those countries to uh, to carry out uh, a coup. First in uh, in an Mali itself, and then it was followed by Burkina Faso. And this was junior officers which came under enormous pressure from the masses itself to, um, uh, to protect them from this, from this, uh, this onslaught. And then um, these uh, junior officers overthrew the, the, the regime, took power. And then confronted not only the um, the jihadists but also the French NATO forces, which which was uh, uh, occupying certain parts of the country. And subsequently, both these military regimes have now uh, kicked out French uh, the French military presence in in those countries, uh, which have now had obviously it was a huge blow to French imperialism, um, which have, have seen these countries as their, you know their backwater for for decades Um, and so there's a massive implications for the class struggle in uh, specifically in those in those countries that I've mentioned.
0: It really feels like that across the African continents as we were saying in the previous episode the working class, the poor, the youth are rediscovering the traditions of anti-imperialist struggle, of class struggle and a revolutionary path is being charted and of course when the revolutionary wave of sub-Saharan Africa really breaks out. It's going to shake the whole world. This is an enormous population with powerful revolutionary traditions. And as we bring this to a bit of a close, I just wanted to highlight one of the most advanced revolutionary movements we've seen in the past period, which was the struggle in Sudan from the end of 2018 and is still ongoing you could argue there are still days of action there are still protests and marches going on to this day the situation is far from resolved but i think that this situation was so rich with lessons it deserves an episode of its own really so we will only touch on it to make this broader point but you had the old regime uh, overthrown you had uh, the masses self-organizing into these enormous neighborhood defense committees. You had the country crippled by a general strike. You had this enormous sit-in in Khartoum. You basically had the emergence of a dual power situation. And of course, in the end, it was all squandered by the um, the reformists and the liberals at the head of the movements. Um, the old regime, the the military junta leaned on the reactionary janjaweed militias in order to drown the the people in blood they kept fighting nonetheless but eventually were sold out now you have a situation where the army is back in control they ousted um, hamdok the civilian um leader of the country and now uh, military rule has been effectively restored but the the whole revolutionary process is really contained in this episode and I just wanted to know what your thoughts were on the S- Sudanese revolution and the impact that it had on, on the rest of the region. Because I, I can only imagine that um, there were people in neighboring countries but throughout the whole of the continent who would have been looking at the struggle in Sudan over the last couple of years as something of an example.
1: Yeah, very much so. The Sudanese people just shows. um it's just one example of the enormous potential of the African masses to wage a revolutionary struggle. I mean, there's uh, this. I mean, some people say, uh, like they said of the of the the Arab populations, they are you know very docile and they accept long term uh, rulers and they they are not prepared to wage a revolutionary struggle. Well, nothing can be further from the truth, and, and the and the the situation in in the Sudan was a clear example of, of all of this. Um, but it also showed, the Sudanese revolution also showed us what a lack of leadership can have on even the most uh, courageous revolutionary struggles, And the Sudanese revolution is one of those, it's one of the great tragedies, actually, of, uh, of, of our time. And here, here we had a marvelous movement. In which the masses of the pe- of the people were prepared to sacrifice everything. Um, were prepared to to uh to make the the, the biggest sacrifice in the bigger uh, against the biggest obstacles against the most savage regime with the most savage forces. Uh, anywhere you can you can you can think of. I mean, these Janjaweed Janjaweed militias. Uh, uh some of them was. Uh, um. Barbarous figures, counter-revolutionary figures, uh, you can you can come across, and the Sudanese people were actually prepared to start to wage a struggle against this regime to the end. But right up until that point, the the leadership of of the revolution were not was not up to the task uh, posed by history, and betrayed the revolution. I and mean, you should not. There's no. There's no other way of 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 uh, of, of, of putting this. Um, and in the name of pacifism, and, and we we have seen the, the, the in in in, uh, in a practical sense, what this uh, these ideas of pacifism, the, the negative impact, or the, that these ideas have had on uh, on a, a living revolutionary struggle, because at the end of the day, the only way to have overthrown this regime was to was for the masses to arm themselves, What all the organizations that were leading the revolution, to arm themselves against uh, all of these militias, the but also against the, uh, the Sudanese military. Ultimately, um, only an armed uprising against this regime could have, could have, oh, could have toppled it at, at, the, at, the, at the end of the day. Um, but also, we have, we have to say that the, the, regime, the, the regime also showed its weakness um over the last uh, few months the, as you say they that they, there's still uh, uh, um, upsurges of uh, protests all across the country and it's actually showed that the the regime does not have they it, it's powers are limited it, it 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 did not crush the revolution outright it didn't finish off the revolution um outright but what has happened uh, instead is that the masses of the people obviously to wage a revolutionary struggle is not is not it is not um, it is not it takes enormous amount of energy for for people to wage a revolutionary struggle but and at the end of the day when they when they see that the the leadership are not prepared to go all the way and there's been obstacles one obstacle after another uh, put in in their way, then there's a certain sense of tiredness can 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 creep in, and this is, this is exactly what has happened with this revolution. But in uh, but all the all the elements are still there for uh, an upsurge in the struggle in the in the uh, in the future.
0: And it also goes to demonstrate the necessity of building the subjective factor, because ultimately, even an armed uprising. It might have toppled the regime, but in order to deal with the questions of bread, as Lenin would put it, you know, providing decent housing, a dignified existence, education, infrastructure, doing away with foreign debts and building a genuinely free and democratic regime, you would need to have socialism. You would need a planned economy. And for that, you need a revolutionary party with the ideas of Marxism in its arsenal and using bolshevik methods of organization and i think it's on that note that i'm going to bring this really really interesting two-part discussion to an end ben um you've been incredibly generous with your time this has been by far the longest discussion that we've had on imr um and i just want to indicate um, to anybody listening who might be from the countries or region under discussion Uh, Ben organizes in South Africa under the banner revolution, but we also have a number of groups throughout the African continent that you can find out about via our website, marxist.com. So if you've been impressed with um, Ben's analysis, as impressed as I am, and you want to fight for a revolutionary liberation uh, of the African people from imperialism and capitalism then do get in touch. We'd love to hear from you. Ben Morkin from South Africa, one more time. Thank you so much for joining us.
1: Thank you very much, Joe.
0: Uh, It was great talking to you. All right. Solidarity. That was International Marxist Radio. Thanks for joining us. Tune in again, same time next week, for more Marxist news, theory, and analysis. And if you've been inspired by what you've heard today, Get in touch via our website, marxist.com, and find out more about how you can join the international Marxist tendency and fight for revolution where you are.